The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jagan. Presenting Season 9, Avalanche. Till We Have Faces. Written by Mercedes Lackey and Dennis Lee. Ten minutes later, Victoria Victrix was in trouble. This room was somewhere high above ground, second or third story of the building, maybe. She couldn't get to the earth to pull geomantic power out of it, and she couldn't use the concrete as a channel unless she had bare flesh against it, and maybe not even then. Uncle had known that, of course. There was the linoleum as the first line of insulation, but he'd been extra careful. While she was out cold, he'd pulled a second set of gloves over the ones she usually wore, gloves cinched down tight at the wrists, and probably silk-lined. She couldn't stop running and ducking long enough to get them off. The Echo Nano-Weave suit she wore was too tough to tear. The boots that went with it were form-fitting, and just as tough. It took her half an hour to get them off at the best of times. The only way she could touch the concrete was with her head, which was not a good idea right now. Serves me right for changing for Dixie's funeral. If she'd been in her usual soft cotton pants and shirt, she could have deliberately torn through the cloth and skinned her elbow or knee, dropped blood on a crack in the floor or smeared it on the wall, and had a channel for the geomantic energy. She hadn't worn any storage talismans either. They were all in racks around her desk, not on her. So all the energy she had for spellcasting was what she'd brought with her. Whereas Uncle Bella had not only his pyromancy, but he was jingling with so many charms and talismans under that robe that he outblinged a Las Vegas belly dancer. She was running out of steam, fast. He had just gotten started. She'd spent most of the last ten minutes dodging and using what little energy she had to keep shields up. He'd knocked her into the walls twice, bruising her to the bone all over. She'd managed to deflect the same attack about half a dozen times more, leaving dents in the concrete walls. It had taken him three attempts before he figured out he couldn't incinerate her. She'd perfected that protection a long time ago, and now it was baked into every millimeter of her scarred, tortured skin. The lady's not for burning, she thought, a little hysterically, as she deflected a triplicate of leaven bolts, pure concentrated power that could put a hole in you like a laser, and did burn holes halfway through the concrete wall. But deflecting that much power drained her. She faltered a moment, her sight grayed out a second, and... He got her. He slammed her against the wall, levitated her halfway up it, and held her there, feet dangling helplessly. It was pure brute force. It drove the wind out of her, crushed her all over, sent shards of pain lancing across her ribs as she felt something crack, and left her gasping. She was not only running out of magical energy, she was running dry of everything else. Her vision blurred. Every breath was painful. Every limb shook with pure exhaustion. She was functioning mostly on adrenaline. He stalked to the center of the room, the fight had blown out most of the lights, and he came to rest within a shaft of daylight streaming through the skylight, his face in shadow beneath his hood. He always did have a penchant for drama. He was probably expecting fear out of her. He was probably expecting her to beg for mercy. 
Okay, my head is against the bare concrete wall. And he had spells there blocking her from pulling up earth energy. Because of course he did. She pulled another ounce of strength out of dry reserves. This all you can manage? She mocked, and again set her spells to unraveling his. It took moments this time, crude as they were. She dropped to the ground with knees flexed, absorbing the shock, then stood up. And she didn't let him see she needed the wall behind her for support. Instead, she smiled. Anything you can do, I can do better. She was ready for the invisible hand at her throat. She dissolved it before it even touched her. See? I can counter maybe one or two more of his lesser tricks. Then I'm done. I have to get this over before he realizes I don't have anything left. I have to get him so angry he'll go straight for the kill. I can't even touch the earth and I'm beating you, old fool, she mocked, forcing herself to breathe steadily, even though she wanted to drop to the ground and whimper in pain. Fear, however, was far away, walled out of her mind. It scratched and gibbered at those walls, but she was not going to let it in. She narrowed her eyes and twisted her mouth into a sneer. Look at you. You're decked out like a whore in talismans, and it's just me, and I'm beating you. Aren't you embarrassed? You should be. She paused and shook her head. There. She saw it. The moment he snapped, rage entered his eyes, and he lost the last vestige of his self-control. He shook with anger, and mage sight showed her nothing more than a fiery blur as his power blazed up in him while he called on all his talismans at once. Bust me, Kalvanyadat! He roared and raised both hands. Whatever he had planned, she knew she wasn't going to be able to deflect it or get out of the way. Still, she bared her teeth and braced herself, readying her hands, her words, her will. I am not going down without a last gesture of defiance. Then, in rapid-fire succession, she heard the crash of something overhead and the tinkling of shattered glass hitting the linoleum, something landing hard behind the sorcerer, and the awful sound of flesh being torn apart. And then he was there, uncoiling to his full height. It happened so fast that she had tensed up, willing another shield to flare into existence before she realized that it wasn't really necessary. Where there had been one figure a moment before, then there were two, then another, and one of the three fell over with a meaty thud as a head came rolling towards her. She stared at it in stunned disbelief. Bela's head. The look on Bela's face burned itself into her memory, a harsh sneer of rage with bits of spittle spreading unevenly over his lips, but his eyes blank with surprise as his head came to rest by her feet. She glanced up and saw the genie dashing towards her with bloody claws outstretched. She pushed off the wall, staggered forward, and collapsed into him. She literally could not speak. The shock of seeing him standing there, her wonderful, terrible rescuer, completely overwhelmed her, but she supposed a brief squeeze of his arm would suffice for gratitude for now. Roughly, he kicked the decapitated head away, shed his claws, 
and held her gently in his arms while she fought to control her breathing. The explosive release from danger left her feeling dizzy, the transition from a forced pretense of invulnerability to being able to let the facade drop and be vulnerable again, and to be in his arms. She began to hyperventilate. Then she stopped hyperventilating because every breath hurt. It took a few minutes. He didn't speak, only prompting her with his embrace to calm down, to gain control, to get the words out, and then... What is it with you and jumping through windows? She croaked. She stared into his eyes, his rich brown eyes, and felt a shiver as she realized she didn't recognize them. They stared flatly, blankly back at her, like two cold pebbles. There was no sign of anything like emotion. It was him. It was obviously him, unless another shape-changer had entered the mix and was impersonating him. Oh, holy crap, she thought. What a mess that would be. But it was him. She could feel it, feel him. He just wasn't right, like something vital was missing, like something inside him was turned off or frozen rock hard. She reached up involuntarily and laid a hand on his face, trying to get past that blankness, wincing with pain as she did so. At her touch, Red blinked and took a breath, and finally chuckled and collapsed against her, and they both went to their knees. Defenestration, he whispered. It's not just a word, it's a personal motto. And for the record, that was a skylight, not a proper window. She managed to drag up a smile from somewhere, tried to make it as big and genuine as she could, and took in the newly rekindled warmth of his eyes again, eyes showing humor and relief and so much more. That's better, she thought. That's the red I know. Technically, defenestration is being thrown out of windows, and, ow, I can't hold both of us up, she protested. Damn it, I am sure I have cracked ribs. Everything hurts, and what doesn't hurt doesn't work anymore. Red leaned back and propped her up against his own chest, gingerly, his arms still wrapped around her. We can radio for evac, he said. Actually, Red Genie, said a polite and asexual voice on Vicky's Overwatch 2 frequency, I was going to ask if you wanted that. Shall I call it in? There may be a wait. Belladonna is still dealing with the casualties at the Georgia Dome, although that seems to have come to a partly satisfactory conclusion. Eight ball? Vicky gasped. Red, did you hook him up? Of course, all the Overwatch frequencies were back online for her. With Bella's death, all his protective spells on this prison cell were gone, too. Wait. Three people. She looked past Red's shoulder. Uh, hi, Mel. We have to stop meeting like this. People are going to talk. With her teeth, she pulled the snaps apart that were holding the silk-lined outer gloves to her wrists and tugged the outer gloves off, dropping them to the floor. I need to be able to touch ground, just in case. Mel stood near the still-surprised face of Uncle Bella. She nudged the oozing head with the toe of her boot. She looked momentarily sad or perhaps perplexed at the sorry state of Vicky's former captor, but then she shrugged and turned away from it. She favored Vicky with a wry grin. 
Something tells me that ain't the biggest piece of gossip out of here. Jesus, Ginny, what do we do with this? Soccer? Vicky suggested. Okay, that sounds bad, but he deserves it. Oh, bugger it. Can we kick him halfway to hell? Who was that? The genie asked. My darling great-uncle, Balinage. I told you about him. The one that tried to turn me into Kentucky Fried Magus when I was just out of college. Seems he was working for the Space Nazis. She couldn't help herself. Another automatic reaction decided to kick in at that moment, and she was racked with shudders. All the terror and loathing she'd been repressing hit her without a new warning, and she started to shake as if she had hypothermia. Hey, easy, Red said soothingly. He's gone. He's done. We're going to get you out of here. He looked around. So this was all him? Solo operation? Or we got more Kriegers to worry about? He said he was working with D.G., she managed, trying to get her teeth to stop chattering and stop shivering because it hurt to shiver. Shock. I hate shock. She did her best to sound as if she wasn't wishing with all her heart for one of her pain pills and a session with one of the echo healers. A long session. More like four, though, I bet. Red groaned and rubbed at his eyes. Oh, perfect. Haven't seen that asshole in ages, so of course he'd pop up now. He looked around again. Eightball, we are definitely going to need extraction as soon as you can manage it. I... Red hesitated, snarled, and then hung his head. Wearily, he looked to Vicky. If he shows, I don't know what we're going to do. You're hurt, and don't try to hide it, Vix. I know it's bad. If he shows, I don't know if I can take him. He glanced up at Mel. You know about him. Got any ideas? Mel gave Red an uncertain shrug. That she get out? She's compromised and hurting, and he'll use that as a distraction for the rest of us. Vicky, he's right. We gotta get you back to campus. I can walk out of here fine. Just give me a couple minutes and a shove. She began. Then a belated memory hit, and pain became secondary. Oh my god, the kids! Kids? Red asked. D.G. has a bunch of kids stashed here. Bella said he was using them for something, but he'd get them when D.G. was done with them. Don't ask. There's not less than 27 kids because magic reasons. Dear gods, do not tell him it's probably 99. He'll never go for that. She rubbed her aching head and tried to bludge incoherency into her thoughts. We need to turn them loose, at least. I won't leave them for whatever the hell D.G. is doing to them. Red paused, considering her words, and finally shook his head. Forget it. We can come back for them. We're getting you out now. You're too important. On your feet, let's get you out of here. You've got eight ball hooked up. You don't need me now, she protested, resisting a little. Eight ball can do everything I can, and doesn't need sleep, and can multi-multi-multitask. A, a badger could do my job as long as eight ball is hooked up. Oh, for... Red growled. You are more than just air traffic control for Echo. Come on, Victrix, you have to know this. You can't have done all the things you've done and be this blind. You are the key in all of this. 
And forget about the Badgers, okay? I'm tired of hearing about them. I regret ever telling you guys about them. The Badgers are a lie, all right? That's not true, she said, shaking her head and regretting it. That, that's never been true. She paused and amended it. Well, maybe before, but it's not true now. Sarah and J.M. are weapons of mass destruction. You've got Eight Ball, you've got the Colts, and all the overseas versions of the Colts. You've got... She blinked. Wait, what do you mean the Badgers are a lie? I made it up, the genie roared. The whole stinking mess. It made for a great story, okay? Fast cars, a self-destructive man, and bestiality. It was a freaking hoot. He paused, struggling to regain his composure. Oh, for fuck's sake, he muttered. What is it with you? You always get me so angry, and you're always derailing me with tangents. Just trust me, all right? Trust me when I tell you that you are the most important person I've ever known. That you are the most important person we have in this fight. You. We can't lose you. You're deluded, she replied flatly. How can you possibly be so sure of that? Because I saw it, Red snarled. I saw glimpses of the future, strands of fate, and they all ended in flaming badger turds if certain people weren't there. You saw me? That was pretty hard to swallow. Okay, mostly Bella, Red admitted. But yeah, you were always there. Didn't think much of it at the time. I took it for granted. Of course you were there. You had to be there. Who do you think is the glue that's holding this whole mess together? Horseshit, she replied. At least getting annoyed was pushing some more of the pain into the background. I thought you hated magic. Since when are you gazing into crystal balls? Oh, like I ever got a freaking choice when it came to magic, Red scoffed. You arcane bastards are drawn to me like junky moths needing a fire fix. What the hell is it about me, huh? I can't get away from you, from any of you. And I think you know better than anyone that I've tried. I seem to recall you got into magic in the first place out of your own free will, Cupcake, she mocked. Red Genie, you're a professional liar, and I'm not that important, and I am going to turn those kids loose before we get out of here, even if I have to do it on my hands and knees with you hanging onto my ankles. Red sighed, and Vicky watched his shoulders slump into feet. He shook his head, and she started as he drew her closer to him. She had almost forgotten that he was still holding her, that he had been, all this time. Fine, he seethed. You want a rare moment of red genie truth? All right. When I heard you were gone, that you were taken, that hit me harder than anything ever has. Let me say it again. You are the key in all of this. And you can deny it all you want, but I think you know it. You've made bridges between us and every potential ally out there. You are our eyes and our ears, and you don't let anything slip through the cracks. You're the lifeblood of this. There's nobody who can just fill in for you. He paused, and something in his tone changed. His voice cracked just a little. But I wasn't thinking that. When I heard you were gone, I thought about how we go out of our way to annoy each other. How you and I are trapped in a weirdly escalating and adolescent game of one-upmanship. 
Yet, when things go south, you and I know we can count on each other. There's no one else I trust more. You were gone. And suddenly there was nothing more important than getting you back. He exhaled and drew her even closer. Because I need you, he said. Jeevis, you played a win, Vicky gulped. Her eyes started to burn with tears she refused to shed. She hadn't cried until this moment. She damn sure wasn't going to now. Need isn't love, moron. And Mel's right here. Even with him laying his soul bare. No. And she had always vowed that no matter what it cost her, she wasn't going to screw up anyone else's love life. Especially not his. Absolutely not his. He'd already lost too much as it was. She wasn't going to tangle him in some kind of messed-up love triangle and ruin the one good thing he had going for him. Uh, yeah, Red. I need you, too. You're my main man. BFFs. Right? They jumped, startled, as Mel cried out in exasperation. Oh, for the love of... Are you two insane? Mel howled. He loves you. You love him. How is it possible that you can't see it, even now? Both their heads swiveled to look at Mel, as if pulled by the same wire. Then they snapped back. She stared into his eyes and saw what he must be seeing in hers. Panic. Terror. And something else. Something she still couldn't quite bring herself to believe. The curtain had been pulled back, and there was the wizard, laughing at them both. Oh, what the hell? She threw all her resolutions into the wind, pulled his face scarf down, and kissed him. She expected him, even now, to pull away. Because of course he would. That was how life was. She was misreading him, and so was Mel. He'd pull back and cough, and Mel would see it was her that he loved, and somehow they'd get past this because they had to. But at least the frog princess would have gotten her kiss, even if it wasn't going to make her human again. So she was completely sideswiped when he drew her tightly against him and kissed her back. Nothing tentative about it. Nothing held back. Raw, honest genie with no masks. When she opened her eyes, she saw there was something going on that was more revealing than a kiss. It was his real face as she had seen it in reflection, when she'd worn his body. The bones of his face were good, strong, and a fine foundation for faces like Clooney's. But the skin over the bones, from his cheekbones down, the skin hung off those bones like the jowls and sagging hide of a sharp hay dog. He was all scars and wrinkles and pendulous folds, tight in places, bizarre and loose in others. He had killed people for seeing this face. He'd said so, and she believed him. And he exposed it to her now, letting her share the deepest secret he had, making himself utterly vulnerable to her. But his eyes... Oh, his eyes! She had seen those eyes smile before, seen them cold with rage, seen them look rueful or exasperated. But she had never seen them like this. Alive with emotion, warm and welcoming, and saying so much that she wanted to hear without needing any words at all. 
Somehow she dragged the inner, concealing glove off her right hand. She cupped her left behind the back of his head and laid it along his temple and caressed him with it. Because she wanted it, she had to feel it, at last, warmth on human warmth, her flesh on his, no matter how abused that flesh was. And he didn't shrink from that, either. He just paused for a breath and kissed her again. And this time, it was more than just a kiss. She felt whatever defenses he had left crumble away as he surrendered to it. And every last good intention vanished, the last desperate shield around her soul melted as she surrendered in turn to him. So that's that, then, Mel said, nodding. The final piece. Her words brought Vicky out of the kiss like a hard slap. She glanced at Mel, who stood just steps away with her arms held tightly against her stomach. She turned to Red, whose eyes were now closed, his brow furrowed in an odd mix of elation and confusion. It was the weirdest scene imaginable. And she... She struggled with a contradictory mix of emotions. Guilt uppermost, but she hadn't done anything wrong. She tried, tried so hard to keep her love to herself, tried never to get between him and Mel. But guilt and joy and pain for Mel and fear and desire and the absolute certainty that this was right and the absolute certainty that it was all going to go horribly wrong. It was surreal, to say the least, a tsunami of emotions that tore at the fabric of her sanity. Damn, Vicky thought wildly. Why can't I write shit like this? I figured it out a while ago, you know, Mel muttered. Didn't believe it at first. Of course I didn't. Didn't want to. Thought what we had was real. I did. You had me fooled, Red Janie. I think you even fooled yourself. No. No, Red said, opening his eyes and shaking his head. It wasn't like that, Mel. I know cons, I've done them all, but you can't think I would have... But you did, Mel shouted, and looked away. She quivered and willed herself to look back. You did, she said again, her voice quiet and deadly. No, Red insisted. Look, I'm the last guy to pretend to know what love is, but I know what I felt, what I feel, and I loved you. I did, and I do, you know I do. Vicky felt paralyzed. Anything she said at this point would only make things worse. She was the other woman, even though she had intended the opposite. And, damn it, he wasn't faking anything. He was in love with Mel on some level. I know he was. Yeah, sure, Mel chuffed. Doesn't matter, not anymore. Whatever you felt for me, whatever you think that was, it was never enough, was it? You know now who you really want. Mel drew herself up and gave them a pitying look. It's all going to be fine, you know. Things are going to work out the way they're supposed to. Despite all your talk of choice and free will, I do believe in destiny. I believe we each have a place in the universe that it provides for those that are strong enough, brave enough to provide for themselves. 
I believe things happen for a reason. Take this situation, for example. This monumentally messed up situation. Would you believe this will actually make certain things easier? Things might have gotten derailed for a time there, you know. False hopes and dreams being what they are, but now we can get back to business. Things are going to be just fine. You believe we're going to be fine? Vicky asked incredulously. Oh, I'm at me, Mel said. I'm going to be fine. Something tells me you two are royally fucked. Even if you abandon a plan, you never totally abandon it. You keep it close and available just in case. A back door, an escape route. You know all about that, don't you, Red? I spent a lot of time and effort trying to plant seeds, suspicions, diversions. Wow, what a colossal waste of time. The hell are you talking about? Red demanded. Scope, Mel said with a wry smile. The perfect fall guy or gal. The gender doesn't matter. More on that later. She was already on a path of self-destruction. You know, I almost let her get blown to bits when I fixed those detonators in Ultima Thule. Instead, I threw her in a forgotten transport tube system running under the shield pylons and programmed it to get her the hell out of there. Didn't really need her anymore, not the way things were going, but maybe I wasn't totally willing to give up the plan. But you know, I don't believe that. I think I had a change of heart. Y'all should know, you're the ones responsible for reawakening this odd, empathetic side of me after all. You, you are, Red stumbled on the words. You are confusing the hell out of me right now. I'm not confused, Vicky said, her voice tinged with fear. I get it. You get what? Red demanded. She felt cold with the sheer horror of it. Her heart refused to acknowledge it, but she had always been a creature of mind over heart, and her mind had presented her with all the evidence, neatly tied up, with a bow on top. Doppelganger, Vicky croaked. Mel smirked, and Vicky recoiled as the smirk grew to an elated grin and continued to grow, as did the rest of her, and grow and grow. It towered over them, a massive brute comprised of thick ropes of muscle coiled over an immense frame. Mel's hair fell away, leaving a bald scalp that seemed to undulate with throbbing veins. Her echo nano-weave had torn apart as all the seams parted under the strain and fell to the ground in oddly precise pieces as the thing continued to grow. She, he, it, craned its neck, and Vicky stuffed her hand in her mouth to hold back a scream as bones and cartilage scraped against one another, a thunderous staccato that sounded bizarrely like a string of firecrackers going off. And then it spoke, but not with the growling rasp one might expect. It was a feminine voice. It was almost Mel's voice, but darker, richer, sultry even, and Vicky shuddered at the horror of it. Well done, Vicky, 
Doppelganger crooned. You know, I never intended to let Bella have you. The smart ones are always more fun to play with. They can always see what's coming. Penny? Penny, what's going on? Pike tugged at her arm as the rest of the kids gathered around her. It was funny, really. The more the good ghost had helped her by scaring away the bad ones, and by giving her information she could use to warn the other kids, the more they had come to depend on her, to even treat her as a leader. From being the crazy one they avoided, now they all looked up to her. Even Pike. I don't know, she said, her ear pressed to the crack in the door, knowing that before the dark man or the devil could come, the good ghost would warn them in time for all of them to get back to their cots. After that breaking glass, I didn't hear nothing. She bit her lower lip and frowned with unease and worry. I hope nothing ain't happened to Lacey. Had there been a window in Lacey's room? She didn't think the good ghost had said. There wasn't a mirror for sure. The devil hated mirrors. He'd broken all of them in every room before any of them had come here. You should be worrying about yourself, miserable little rat. Penny whirled, the blood draining out of her face. Because that was the dark man's voice, but it had come from right behind her. How had he gotten into the room without passing the door? She screamed, then clapped both her hands over her mouth, because the dark man was there. Only now, he was a ghost. Which meant she'd never, ever be rid of him. Oh, yes, he said, as the rest of the kids backed away from her, leaving her all alone at the door. He smiled, horribly. Scream, little rat. You can still serve me. The preparations I made for you can still serve another way. I can take your scrawny little body and there's not a thing you can do about it, my dear little conduit. He tilted his head to the side and licked his lips. It's not a body I would have chosen, but beggars can't be choosers, can they? She pressed her back against the cold metal door and stared at him in horror, because even though she had no idea how she understood what he meant, she knew exactly what he meant. He was going to take over her body, move into it like someone moving into someone else's house. No, she whimpered. Yes, he hissed. Sorry, you old pervert, said a voice next to her and the good ghost came through the door to stand between her and the dark man, planting his feet a little apart and crossing his arms over his chest. You're on my turf now, and you aren't going to touch her. The good ghost grinned. Time to call the cops on you. Man, I have been wanting to give you what you've got coming to you for a long, long time. Then he stuck two fingers into his mouth and whistled, shrilly. A hole opened in the air behind the dark man. The rest of the kids looked at her in confusion as she gasped. But then, they all started to shiver and whimper as an ice-cold blast of air came out of it, whipping around the room and making anything loose fly around in a mad circle. The dark man started and looked behind him as the lights dimmed. And then he screamed because something shadowy and terrible darted out of the blackness of the hole and seized him in far too many skeletal arms. He struggled against it, still screaming, 
but to no more effect than if he had been a child. A child. Like Penny. Like all his victims. And then the thing hauled him backwards, still fighting, into the black hole in the air. His flailing hands were the last thing Penny saw. Then the hole closed, and he was gone. The cold wind stopped. The others gathered around her, staring at her, as the good ghost stood there still, with his feet apart and his arms crossed over his chest again, smiling in satisfaction. Penny? Pike ventured, his voice quavering. Penny? What just happened? He's dead, she breathed in wonder. He's dead. The dark man's dead. He ain't gonna be able to hurt no one no more. And then she burst into tears. She didn't even know why. Red came immediately to his feet and stepped forward, shielding Vicky from the lumbering hulk with his own body. Vix, he said calmly. Forget what I said before. I got this. You need to get out of here. You can't take him. Her, Vicky hissed. You said it yourself. Red cursed and shook his head, but his eyes remained fixed on the massive form of his former lover. Seriously? What did I just say? Can you do what I ask just this once? Get up, get moving, get those kids, and get the hell out of here. I got this. Vicky felt as if she was being torn apart on every single level. She couldn't leave him here to face Doppelganger alone. She had to. She had to get those kids out. And damn him, damn him, he was right. D.G. under the guise of Mel had had the run of Echo for months, and she and Eight were the only ones who could figure out what Mel had gotten into and mitigate the damage, and Eight couldn't do it alone. Eight could help her because he was faster than she was, but he couldn't do it by himself. He didn't know where or how to look and didn't have any magic she hadn't given him. There was still too much she was going to have to do herself, and it was going to take still more time to get Eight to the point where he really could do most of what she did now on Overwatch. She had to go. She couldn't leave Red. She had to. The fight within her was brutal but short. Duty and responsibility won. Come back to me, Vicky said fiercely. It was barely more than a whisper, but she put every particle of will she had into the words. Wincing, she rose unsteadily to her feet. I love you. You come back to me. Say it. I will, the genie said, and risked a look back at her. I'll come back. Now run. Doppelganger watched them, seemingly at ease and with amusement, she stood in place, her gaze switching lazily between them, but the moment the genie turned away, she leapt forward, a snarl erupting from frothing lips. With a massive backhanded swipe, she batted the genie away and landed in front of Vicky, who screamed and scrambled backwards, almost falling back on her hands. Her monstrous assailant laughed, bent down, and gingerly picked something up off the cracked linoleum. She held it up, and in the dim light Vicky saw something shining, as if it had been lovingly polished. It was Red's broken claw, the one she had secretly worn about her neck for the past year and more. She must have lost it in the fight with her great-uncle. 
For so long it had been all that she had of him, all that she ever could have without interfering in his life. It actually had been polished by her own hands, unconsciously caressing it the way a newly married bride unconsciously turns and caresses her wedding ring. It had been her one link to him, her way to get to him and get him out of whatever trouble he'd gotten himself into, to keep him safer, if not completely protected, to keep him close to her, even when he was halfway across the world. And with a flourish, it was gone, as Doppelganger parted her hungry lips and swallowed it whole. She sighed in contentment, and chuckled as her attention fell back on the wounded mage. Should have listened to him, Doppelganger crooned, her voice still disconcertingly feminine, even sultry. Should have run. You were lovely as the bait, Vicky, but I think I'm done with you now. I think I'm done with sparing lives. I think it's time for the fun to come back. Terror transmuted to rage, and rage was energy. Fiat Lux, she screamed, throwing out her bare hand, and blinding light exploded around Doppelganger's head. One of the first spells she had learned. One of the easiest, the simplest, the one that took the least energy. One that, used cleverly, could be incredibly potent. And in the brief moment while Doppelganger was dazzled, she scrambled to her feet and raced for the door. And from behind, she heard that chilling chuckle again. Tricks, Doppelganger said. You think to use tricks on me. I am going to enjoy tearing your limbs off. But as the brute lumbered towards her, Red Genie erupted from the shadows and wrapped his arms around Doppelganger's neck, making her stagger backwards. Run, Red bellowed. Run! Don't look back! Sobbing, she obeyed him and ran, wrenched open the metal door and tumbled out into the hall. She glanced frantically in either direction. All the doors were open on this hallway, so wherever the kids were, they weren't here. Oh, gods, which way? Over Jeannie's frequency, she heard Doppelganger talking. Why? No matter if D.G. was talking, he... she... it wasn't fighting, and the further away she got, the more Red would concentrate on saving himself and not on her. Mel. Mel, he's been Mel all along. He... she... oh, gods, 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 I have got to get back and start damage control. Suddenly... She heard the kids screaming. No, not screaming, calling. Jumbles of, Miss, Miss here, help us, please, let us out. How the hell? Never mind. She ran with her arms, holding her stabbing ribs, followed the cries around the corner to another hall and a locked room, moving as fast as she dared, breathing as shallowly as she could. Then, just to complicate things, on one of her CCCP freaks, she heard Untermensch barking. CCCP on site. Tovarish Victrix. Where are you? I don't know. I don't know. But Eight Ball might. Jesus. Show them Eight Ball. She began, when Eight Ball interrupted with, Follow the HUD, comrade, in crisp Ukrainian. Red hung on, squeezing his arms together around her massive neck with all the strength he had. As chokeholds went, it was pretty solid. 
good pressure on the windpipe, solid bracing with his shoulder, so she should have been gasping for breath. So it was somewhat anticlimactic when Doppelganger sighed and gave him a contemptuous look over her shoulder. You just about done, she asked. Red cursed and let go, dropping a good three feet to the ground and rolled away. He came to a resting bounce, balanced on the balls of his feet. Nope, he answered cheerfully. You've got a lot of fight left of me to deal with, darling. Oh, I'm counting on it, she said, if a bit ruefully. We can't dally here, you know. Didn't go through all this trouble just to get pinched. Needed to separate you. Needed Echo to give up on you. Needed to eliminate the one person left who would likely pursue you. Or at least keep her busy long enough to do what I have to. But I'm relieved to be here finally. I just wanted you to know that. Here we are. We're at that place where you know finally who I am. It's important. Soon, you're going to know everything I am. It's only fair that we start this leg of the journey on equal ground. Red stopped bouncing and came to a full stop. He eyed her warily, and suddenly his stomach revolted, and he started to gag. How long? He managed between dry heaves. How long? How long what? How long have you been now? He asked again, holding his hands to his heaving chest. Oh, honey, Doppelganger sighed. It was always me, the parts that mattered anyway. The parts that you're, um, reacting about. She gave the genie a sympathetic look. Does it help when I tell you everything will make sense real soon? That it won't seem so terrible, so alien? Dude! Red shouted. You're, you're a dude. How is this not going to seem messed up? Really? Doppelganger said, and gave the genie a withering look. You're going to get stuck on gender. You know, genie, like it or not, you connected with someone. Really connected. Gender aside, great sex aside, we shared something I don't think either of us ever really had before. And don't try to deny it. It's me. I know what you felt, what we shared. Once you come to grips with that, I don't think the rest will be so hard. Well, except that I'm going to torture you within an inch of your life. But besides that... Doppelganger sniffed and began to advance on him, her muscles rippling as she emerged from the shadows. Let's make this quick, she growled. Got a ride waiting, and like I said... I didn't go through all this trouble to get sloppy and pinched now. Vicky cupped her hand over the electronic door lock and dredged up a little more strength as the kids continued to call to her hysterically from the other side. Please make this one I know, she prayed, trickling the little bit of power she had scraped out of the bottom of her proverbial barrel into the lock. Nothing. She tried again. Nothing and now over Red's channel she heard crashes and howls of pain. He was fighting for his life, 
for their lives. There was nothing she could do to help him, and she couldn't even get the damn door open. Sobbing, she balled up her bare hand and pounded it on the wall. Damn you! Why won't you? A hand fell on her shoulder. Before she could react, new energy flooded into her so fast her hair stood on end. Itbal has told us of the children. Get them out, comrade! Thea's soft contralto urged, and she cupped her hand over the keypad again. This time, the magic worked. There was a buzz from the door, the sound of a lock thudding back, and Thea hauled at the handle. In moments, the door sprang open, and a torrent of hysterical children dressed only in hospital pajamas poured out. Red dodged another of Doppelganger's lightning-fast blows and darted around the room, desperately trying to keep out of reach. He had already been tagged a couple of times. The last blow had smashed him up into the ceiling, nearly knocking him out. It didn't help that the room was fairly devoid of anything that could be used as an effective weapon. It didn't help that this room was so damn small. It really didn't help that Doppelganger was so big. Most of all, it didn't help that Red wasn't exactly in his right mind. Vicky, don't waste time. Hurry your ass up and get out. Vicky, I love you. Doppelganger is Mel. I love Mel. She's not Mel. She's not, right? She is. You know she is. Everything she's said is true. You love Doppelganger. Oh, for the love of... He kept moving, kept dodging, but it was only a matter of time, and as he slipped on an ill-timed feint, he felt an enormous hand close around his neck, snatching him out of midair. He gasped and flailed wildly as Doppelganger brought him up for a kiss. She gave him a brief peck on his forehead, ignoring the feeble blows leveled at her head and desperate kicks to her stomach. Take a nap, lover, she cooed, and wrapped his head sharply against the wall. He went limp in her hand, and she began to whistle as she brought him closer, prying his mouth open with her fingers. With a short grunt of effort, she let her fingers elongate into thin, tough claws and ran one delicately over the roof of his mouth. She chuckled, victorious, and with a swift motion neatly excised the oral component of his Overwatch 2 apparatus. She examined the bloody kernel of machinery between her fingers, let it fall to the ground, and slung the genie over her shoulder. That should disrupt detection for now, she sighed. Enough to spirit you away and finish the job in private. She looked up and with an effortless leap bounded up through the broken skylight to the waiting roof. And that's where our magic happens, doesn't it, Red? She said, landing lightly on her feet, and patted Red's limp form affectionately. In private. One of the children, a little girl who was the last one out, suddenly plastered herself against Vicky. He told me you would come, she half-sobbed. He told me. Who told you, child? That was Untermensch. He looked around at the horde of kids. Children, stay with me. I will show you the way out. Whether they were used to instantly obeying the orders issued by scary-looking men, or just had common sense under all that hysteria, they all quieted down and pressed up against him in a group, like baby chicks against a mother hen. Him, the good ghost, the little girl said and pointed at nothing. And the hair stood up on Vicky's neck because she felt it, 
something she had only felt once or twice in her life. Cold. Physical and spiritual cold. Power, a force she could recognize even if she couldn't touch it or use it. There was a spirit here. And the child could see it, even if she couldn't. Poor child. She is... Thea began, shaking her head doubtfully, but Vicky interrupted her. No, she sees something. It's real. But she, in her turn, was interrupted by the little girl grabbing her hand and pulling her down the hall. He knows where the others are. He's going to show me, the child said urgently, and Vicky let herself be pulled along. Untermensch and Dupier and the mob of children followed in their wake. Two more rooms. Two more groups of children. Two more locks to open with magic. And now the little girl was urging her on again. Here, here, he says Lacey is here. The child pulled Vicky down the hall so fast her head was spinning. Her whole body felt on fire in a way that it hadn't in months, and the pain in her ribs was like a red-hot iron corset. Then the little girl took Vicky's bare hand and put it on the keypad beside the door. Make it open! Make it open now! she demanded, more frantic than imperious. The door opened. There was a single occupant to the small cell, a woman lying with her back against the wall, legs asprawl. Jesus. Mel? It was Mel. A Mel with matted, disheveled hair, dressed in a filthy hospital gown, and, shockingly, with only one hand. The left arm ended in a bandaged stump. A Mel who took one look at them and charged at them, screaming at the top of her lungs. Somehow Vicky managed a takedown, purely on reflex, leaving Mel sprawling, dazed on the floor. And Dupier stepped in between them and planted one naked hand on Mel's face. A moment later, Dupier took her hand away, flushed pink rather than her usual paper white, the sign she had drained someone of energy, and Mel was out cold. Is this the last child? Untermensch asked, bending down and heaving Mel over his shoulder with a grunt. The child nodded, and Untermensch started to turn. But, Red! Vicky protested in a wail. To her shock, Upir seized her arm. The commissar and Belladonna say to get you out, Thea said firmly in Russian, knowing Vicky would understand, but the children would not. The eight-ball voice on Overwatch 2 says that Red Genie insisted to get you out. You will leave with us now, or I will drain you until you are unconscious. Georgie can carry too. Duh, Untermensch confirmed, with a glower in her direction. Now come, and do not force Thea to make you flat. Running, with Thea's hand on her shoulder to give her the extra strength, she and Thea and Georgie, children in front of them, children behind them, made for the way out that Eight Ball was showing on their HUDs. They all poured like a flood through the corridor of the not-so-abandoned building, down two flights of stairs, and finally out an emergency exit. The kids had piled up against the door, and Georgie shoved his way through them and opened it by the simple expedient of giving it the boots so hard the door slammed into the wall outside, and the upper hinges broke with a metallic shriek. The kids fled through a jungle of weeds to the cracked and broken asphalt of an old parking lot, which was where Vicky turned, still pulled back by Red's peril, 
because now there were no more noises of combat on Red's channel. There was nothing, actually. The signal had gone dead. She killed his rig. That bitch killed his rig. I can't track him. But before she could demand that Thea and Untermensch leave her with the children and go back to help Red, the top floor of the dilapidated building exploded. The kids screamed and tried to shelter themselves as debris pelted down on them. But Vicky could only stare, paralyzed, as something, a disc that looked as if it was the middle sliced out of a Thulean death sphere, rocketed up to about 1,500 feet, paused, and accelerated away, fading into literal invisibility as it did. And she knew. She knew Red was in there. Doppelganger's prisoner. And all she could do was stare as her heart iced over. Doppelganger piloted her Flatermouse skillfully. Most Thulean ships needed a full crew, but she could handle this one by herself. After the total disaster the last attempt to take the genie had been, she had elected to leave her troops behind and run this op solo. And a wise decision that had been. Stupid, replicated apes that they were. It was relaxing to be in this form, although she knew she would have to go back to Doppelganger's male shape before she landed. Females held no respect among the Thulians, not even Valkyria. The bitch wasn't aware of how she was spoken of behind her back. She glanced over at the genie, strapped down in the seat beside her, breathing mask for the steel knocked gas covering his entire face, so unconscious he didn't even twitch. Don't worry, lover, she crooned. I'll soon have you where you need to be. Then we'll play a while, and when I am done, you'll forget all about that neurotic Hungarian witch. We'll be together forever, and you'll never, ever leave me. Movement in one of the screens set into the control panel caught her eye. Something very small and stealthed flying away from the chaos of the Georgia Dome, but not toward the Echo Campus. She frowned. She ordered the Flatermouse to scan it. Carbon fiber and a great deal of stealth modification. Trading speed for near invisibility. One occupant. Could it be someone we are interested in? She ordered a deeper scan, this one reading oh so many biometric indicators from a distance, as the Flatermouse cruised along, shadowing the tiny craft. Thulean technology gave her ship true invisibility, which she traded for offensive capabilities, but after all, offense was not what Flatermouse was for. She waited while the ship's computers ran what the sensors read through an analysis, and with a cheerful ping, the answer came up on the readout. Dominic Verdigree, 82.435% positive. Doppelganger's mouth stretched into a wide grin. And the universe will provide, she chuckled. Oh my, Red, here I was concerned the masters might want you for themselves, and up pops a tasty little morsel they will enjoy ever so much more than you. She toggled open the cargo hatch on the bottom of Flatermouse, lined the ship up, and swooped down on her prize like a falcon on a pigeon. Before her prey had any idea she was there, she had swallowed him up and snapped the hatch closed, triggering the anti-gravity in the hold to make sure he could not escape. 
since he wasn't used to it, he'd probably be violently sick all over himself and the inside of his craft. That alone would keep him busy for the time it would take her to reach the nearest forward base. A fine day, she laughed. A happy day for this child of destiny. She began to sing. Jack and Kanjar stared at the enhanced radar screen on his Thulean equivalent of a shuttlecraft, or maybe a captain's launch, as a large, stealthed Thulean vessel engulfed the small stealthed runabout they were tracking, then sped off, presumably with it inside. Jack rubbed the back of his head with his hand. Well, that went south in a big damn hurry, he said, sounding more annoyed than angry. Kanjar was more eloquent, cursing in Hindi, switching to Bengali, and finishing up in Urdu. Now, what do we do? she asked. Not Jack, but mostly karma and fate. When I told him that Echo was on his trail and he should make a run for it in his runabout, we were supposed to snatch him at the airstrip, not see him grabbed out of the sky in front of us like a pigeon by a hawk. Calm down, darling. Jack said meditatively. He's where we really want him, right? In fact, this might just be better. Less song and dance for me to do in front of the bosses. I just have to make sure I know where they put him after they get him, and we'll all have what we want. Oh, Kanjar said, suddenly realizing that the short man was right. Well, in that case... I suppose at this point the best move I can make is go become useful to Echo. She licked her lips thoughtfully. I would like to be sure Bulwark is not inclined to bear a grudge. You do that, Jack replied, turning his eyes to the rest of the controls for a moment. He eyed their other two companions thoughtfully. But before you do that cool thing where you leap out of the speeding aircraft, I need to run something by you. By all of you. He directed his thumb behind him, where Harmony sat sprawled across a passenger bench, embracing Scope, who could have been taken for a statue. She was so quiet and lifeless. I think we're going to need to bring her into the game a little ahead of schedule. Kanjar scowled. I suppose it could be worse, she said after a moment. You could be talking about that psychotic, thankfully dead, Chinese woman. Harmony regarded them both enigmatically, and then blew Kanjar a kiss. I love you too, Poodle, she said flirtatiously. We should get our nails done together sometime. You've been listening to The Secret World Chronicle, written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jagan. Narration and production by Veronica Jaguer at VoicesByVeronica.com Quality review and production assistance by Laura Nicole at ResonantMoon.com Music by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com The Secret World Chronicle podcast novel series is released under a Creative Commons Attribution No Derivatives 4.0 license. For previous episodes, check out secretworldchronicle.com. The Secret World Chronicle is published by the fantastic people at Bayon Books. Find fellow SWC fans on the Facebook group 
at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Secret World Chronicle. And as always, thank you for listening.